Welcome to River's Edge Sermon of the Week. Thanks for joining us today. We're really believing that you'll benefit from the message that you're about to hear. A big thank you to those of you who share our podcast on social media. And thanks for rating and reviewing us on iTunes. For more information about us, please visit riversedgechurch.com.au. Who's enjoying the theme that we have in church at the moment? Nothing matters more. Yeah? We're enjoying that theme. And... uh, Can anyone shout out some of the cogs that we're going to include this year? Any of the the four words? Community. Encounter. Stewardship. Practices. So they're the sorts of things that our sermons this year are going to kind of unveil a little bit more. How do we... All of those things are good and we can do them. We can do good things for God. We can be change makers, but you know what? Makes it really easy when the breath of God comes and blows upon it and he makes it all work together. Because otherwise we'd be busy trying to make our life all juggle and fit together, but somehow when he breathes, it all happens. So today I'm just going to be focusing on a simple thought. And it is very simple. But it's about recognising the realities of how do we put Jesus matters more into practice in our everyday life. There's a backstory for all of us going on right now. You know, in um, I've been watching The Chosen and the way that they develop the disciples as characters within it is amazing. It's not based necessarily closely on God's word, although the, the main story is, but their backstory You know, it could have happened like this. And we can all identify with the fact that we all have a story, a context of where we are right here and now. And we realise that there's a lot of competing voices, distractions, life situations going on in our backstory, in our context. Perhaps there's griefs, weariness, loss of hope. At different seasons, because of what's going on in our context, we can start to have a feeling of barrenness come over us and our faith life becomes challenged. Joy is very hard to come by sometimes. Our hearts and souls start to feel empty, weary and bereft and we say, well, for now, I've had to make other things my priority because there's a lot going on right now. Our backstory can sometimes be an excuse, can't it? For why perhaps we're not putting Jesus, nothing nothing matters more, into practice. My question for us today, though, is how do we move beyond our context, our backstory, what's going on in our life personally, the place that we might feel stuck, the present, in which might be... seemingly hindering or stopping us from moving forward. It it might not necessarily be something bad. It might be a good bubble. It might be a baby bubble or a marriage bubble or all these wonderful things that we can get so caught up and become our priorities at different times in our life. My question is, how do we move beyond our backstory to enjoy the Jesus that nothing compares to right now in our unfolding backstory, our context. So that's what I'm going to share with today. 
I want to remind you that Jesus isn't oblivious to your backstory. I'm not trying to paint the picture that, okay, that's nice, let's get on with it. I want to remind you that Jesus really does know, he sees. And you know what? He's waiting for us to step out of the boat. Sometimes when we're in a storm, we can confine ourselves to that place of being stuck. And we want to get out of that. We kind of want a miracle, don't we? We we want God to just turn up. But maybe he's waiting for us just to look at him out on the water and be so enamoured with him for who he is that we step out of the boat in trust of him. Not because he's going to do a miracle, not because I'm going to walk on water, just because Jesus is there and I want to be with him. Being transfixed on Jesus and single-focused is so much more easy. Easier said than done, isn't it? Can we all admit that? There's going to be a lot of admitting today. (laughs) Welcome to everyone watching online. Nothing matters more. It wasn't a ploy doing this, this theme this year to make you feel bad. Luke and I didn't go, let's make everyone feel guilty and shameful that they're not putting Jesus first. And as you can hear... That's far from the, the, the case. People are, are serving Jesus all over this place and Changemakers is an example of people who are serving Jesus and loving him and have him as their focus. So it wasn't our aim to do that. But I'm, I'm human like you are. Sometimes you feel a bit guilty and you think, how am I going to make this happen in my life? How, how do I put Jesus first? Hopefully today, some of that shame and guilt will be relieved a little bit as we look at Jesus in the context of our current life. So I want to explore the parable of the kingdom of God this morning. A parable, a very short parable in Matthew 13. And I want you just to imagine for a moment that you haven't heard this already that you're like the crowd who was listening to this parable for the first time. You didn't know Jesus' backstory. You didn't know all the things he'd done. You're just sitting and listening to him at that moment. Someone who we now know is Jesus, Messiah, God incarnate, who is God with skin on. But they were still trying to work that out. They were still trying to, who is this Jesus? So let's read. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a person found and hid again, and out of joy goes and sells everything he or she has and buys buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like the situation of a merchant who is on the lookout for beautiful pearls. And when that person found one precious pearl, she or he went and sold everything she had and bought it. Treasure. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Treasure. In Proverbs 2, 4, talking about wisdom and the things of God, it says, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 
Who'd like that? Yeah? In Colossians 2, verse 3, it says, For our spiritual wealth is in him like hidden treasure waiting to be discovered. How exciting is that? This hidden treasure waiting to be discovered in Christ. So let's look a little closer at this. The kingdom of heaven is like... What's the kingdom of heaven? When you hear that phrase, what do you think of? It's the place where Jesus is. It's where God is. It's that place where it's now but not quite yet. So we live in this world of knowing that we're part of a kingdom, but we're not physically in that kingdom, but we are living in that kingdom in our inner world. Does that make sense? No, didn't make sense. <laughs> kingdom of God investigate it a little bit more. It's really worth it. It's a treasure. It's where God dwells, where his presence is. It's a place outside our normal life. It wasn't unusual back in the ancient world for people to bury their treasure in the ground. They didn't have banks back then, like we do. So lots of people put their treasure in the ground, something we don't often do today. Therefore, people looking for treasure were probably very um, forgetful as to where they left their treasure, or criminals, I reckon. They were probably trying to steal someone else's treasure. We don't know who this guy was, but here he is looking or finding this treasure. We don't really look for treasure today, do we? We're not on a search like in the ancient world. I mean, some people might be searching with the lottery ticket or the um, different other opportunities that they come across to find treasure in all sorts of ways. But I just wanted to generally look at five types of people in the world. And this isn't exhaustive. I've just picked five. We've got people who are searchers. Some of us have decided to go on this search to find out who and what the kingdom of heaven is and who Jesus is. And we've decided to stay on that search and pursue Jesus. So they're the searchers. We've got the contented people. Others feel that they've found the treasure of happiness already. Um, life has been good to them. And a lot of us in the Western world, that's our story. Life's been good. I don't need to look for anything else. I'm quite content, on the outside at least, with contentment being something that we can't often see what's going on in people's lives. The other person is a disinterested person. Some seem very uninterested in looking for anything and in some ways are just waiting for something to fall in their laps. Have you met someone like that? They don't want to go and find anything for themselves. You might have a child like that. I don't want to go look for their stuff. They just want their, their socks and their undies and their, <laughs> their clothing just to somehow appear. They don't want to do the search. They're very disinterested in that. I reckon if I knew there was treasure in the ground, though, in my day and age, that was up for anyone to go find, I reckon I'd be searching out there for it. Wouldn't you? Anyone with me? Searching out there, yeah, looking for it's all the bargain shoppers, <laughs> looking for something out there. Sadly, not everyone has a hunger to pursue the treasure. Some people are just oblivious. 
They have no idea what's on their land, like the landowner where this story is set. There's treasure sitting there and he never even knew about it. And someone comes and buys his land and he willingly sells it to them unaware of what he was really giving up. Some people are just oblivious of the value of the thing that they have right on their land. The kingdom can be present and not perceived by people. Because just because it's present there, it does, and it does not overwhelm us or make itself um, really overt in our life and makes us change or makes us go, oh, wow, Jesus is here. And it doesn't make us resistant to it in terms of um, overcoming the resistance, sorry, to it. Some are waiting for it just to, to fall in their laps. Another person is the stuck person. Stuck in our backstory, like I mentioned earlier. And at different times, this might be you. It's been me at different times in my life, in different seasons, where you go through something and you're feeling a sense of stuckness. It could be things that are playing over in your head. You're sad, lonely, weary, empty empty of faith, there might be a certain habit that's just too much to change. There might be sin. I look at that landowner and wonder, was he a shut-in? Did he just not even go out and check out what was in his field? Was he just quite contained in his thinking, in his house, of what was going on for him? God doesn't impose or force himself upon us. Scripture says that the kindness of God leads us towards repentance. So God, even though he's worth so much, he doesn't stand there and say, I am here, you must. He just gently leads, and it's up to us. So we see in this parable somebody who's a searcher. I'm just going to focus a little bit around what a searcher, some of the traits of the char and characteristics of someone that's a searcher. And you might just start to think about whether or not you can see yourself in one of these traits. Maybe there's something you need to work on. Or maybe you already sort of identify with something I've already mentioned. So this person, I see the trait of someone who's committed to finding the treasure. Someone who has done the hard yards and is committed, they've got their shovel, they've got their, their gum boots, and they're ready to dig in and search for it. They've made their mind up, that's what I'm going to do. You know, what was his backstory? Was he a thief, this guy that's digging the treasure in the ground? Was he somebody that, um, I mean, he, he could have stolen this treasure off the land. Nobody would have known. He could have left it and said, oh, it's not mine, I'm not going to go there. Or he could have said, oh, wow. This is massive. I'm going to need a crane. I'm going to need a bulldozer. I'm going to need one of those scooper trucks. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> oh, it's, it's way too much effort. I can't do that. I don't have the resources. He could have just left it, but he didn't. He decided, I'm going to dig. And not only that, he went and found something, some ways to make it happen. The pearl merchant in this parable was the same. At least he was looking in the direction, though, of where he might find the treasure. <laughs> you know, it's, instead of just a random field, he, he knew that there was value in the pearl business. And so he knew exactly what he was looking for. 
Well, we don't know what he did with it. Maybe he found that pearl and he stuck it in a necklace for his girlfriend. Who knows what he did with that treasure? That's up to us to unfold and think about. So some people in the New Testament that were committed to finding the treasure. Who remembers the story of Zacchaeus? Yeah. He thought Jesus was... He, he was like, who is this Jesus? I want to go and see for myself. So he goes to all the effort to climb a tree because he's a short man and he can't see, but he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus sees him, recognises him, and goes to his house for dinner and a change takes place in his life. He pushed through. He wanted to find the treasure. Who was this Jesus? What about the friends that bought the man that was a paralytic and, and opened up the roof of a house and he was let down because there were so many crowds? They were pushing through, trying to dig in to find out who this Jesus was. Another trait of a person in this category is someone who understands the value of the treasure. It's another trait. So the value of the treasure didn't increase or decrease by it being found. It's always the same amount found in the ground or in the pearl. Jesus is valuable whether he's found by you or someone in your world or not. He has intrinsic value just being him. The first man goes through a process of buying the land and in order to get the treasure, he had to seek it out. It didn't just happen easily. And it took a little bit of unknown time. We don't know how long it was before he was able to take the land and get his treasure. That's unknown. We do know for both of them that they gave up all that they had for the one thing. Everything that they had. They saw it, they'd seen it, and they aligned their life and began to put things in process in order to make that treasure purchase happen. I love that. The pearl merchant knew what value looked like because he'd been working with pearls. He knew what a really fancy, precious pearl looked like. Not just the beautiful pearls, but the precious pearl. Pearls were very um, highly valued in the ancient world. More so than gold, in fact. And I, I was surprised by that little fact there. And um, this word precious, to find a precious pearl, is not only something that's highly valued above gold already, but something that's extra, extra precious. That word is used in the parable. It's used two other places only in the New Testament, one being in 1 Peter 1.7, which I'll quickly read. In all this you greatly rejoice. And it was... Two people who were going through a tough time, this, this passage here. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer kinds, uh, griefs and trials of all different kinds. These trials will show that your faith is genuine, is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is mar far more precious than mere gold. The faith, so much more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. So our ultimate, 
the day when our ultimate treasure is seen. There's going to be such joy on that day. The other place where this word precious is seen in the Bible, and I found this very interesting, was in reference to the sacrificial anointment of Mary. You know the story of the alabaster jar where Mary comes and pours out that precious ointment on the feet of Jesus? It was treasure. It was precious. And yet here she anoints Jesus, calling him more precious than her very most precious thing. It's a beautiful story in John 12, 3. The brokenness in that moment of that that urn or that vase, whatever it was in, the fragrance that filled the room for everybody. This treasure was poured out and everyone could smell it and see it. And everyone had an opinion about it too, but I'll let you read about that. She's an example of someone who put into practice the teachings of this parable, didn't she? She sold everything. She gave up everything to purchase the precious treasure of Jesus. So another trait of a searcher is that they recognise their present situation and also their awaiting joy. So the treasure finder man, he goes with joy. So he stumbles upon it, you know, all his metal detector goes beep, beep, beep. And he goes, wow, there's treasure here. Hmm, I'm going to hide it again. But the joy that he got when he discovered it, he was like, I'm going to sell everything. And there was an awaiting sense of joy. But there was a present joy because he knew that something better was coming. So when we stumble across this treasure, there's a a now joy, but that sustains us until the after joy, where our ultimate treasure is going to be found in Christ when we see him face to face someday. In Corinthians 2, 3-10, it says, For what was glorious... And it's talking about Moses. What was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory coming from God in Jesus. So what we thought was a great thing, Mary thought her perfume was a great thing, but there was a surpassing glory. Jesus, that she wanted to be extravagant and worship. We see people just taking a hold of that anticipation of there's, there's joy now, but I'm, I'm having joy in the future as well. You know, this woman who reached out to Jesus, when he pushed through the crowd, she could have just been oblivious. He, he, he was just doing his thing, walking through the crowd, and here she is, pushing through, finding him, touching him. And there's a joy, probably a little bit of fear, wondering what was going to happen in the next moment. But there was this joy coming for her in healing. And her body was healed when she encountered Jesus. 
Another trait is that this kind of a person who's a searcher is willing, up, willing to give up something for the treasure. Its worth is highly valuable. In fact, high enough to warrant giving up all else in order to get it. To me, this is one of the most challenging <laughs> thoughts. Absolute worth in terms of personal sacrifice. With the merchant, like the person who found the treasure, who went and sold everything, they cashed everything out on this one precious jewel. They sold everything they had. Themes of finding and selling and buying, you find it all through the, the parables of Jesus. It seems like this is what disciples do when they encounter Jesus. And together, those, together they point to the response of the disciples. And one scholar puts it this way, as a paradigm for all Jesus' parables. So all of Jesus' parables have this, well, when you meet Jesus, buy, sell, find. The kingdom of God, the kingdom is like a small, inconspicuous pearl but one of incalculable value that once discovered calls for unrestrained response in the form of absolute discipleship. Nothing matters more. And I think that's a real big thing, isn't it? What does absolute discipleship mean? And there's got to be a response, I think, is what we're talking about here. And there's so many examples in the New Testament of where people did this, especially the disciples. You'll remember in Matthew, when Jesus first talks to the disciples, although I found out recently, was reminded that he'd actually been, he'd known them for about 18 months. So there was this kind of journey they were on before he called them. And it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter, and, he, and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net out into the lake, doing their thing. And Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to go and fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. They left other stuff behind. They went and followed Jesus, their source of income. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Nicodemus, another person who was a searcher, he was the guy that Jesus said, you, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus, who was a, a priest, a high priest, couldn't quite understand this concept. He'd gone to find out more. He was a searcher. He was trying to say to Jesus, what does this mean? Who are you? And at that time, we don't really know what impact that conversation had on Nicodemus. We just know that Jesus said, you know, you can be born again. And we all hope that something had happened. And I discovered again this week that Nicodemus, when Jesus died, it was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that went to the body of Jesus. And I was just reading about how Nicodemus came and he gave 
his spices and myrrh to anoint the body so it wouldn't be smelling. And it says that it was 34 kilograms of this stuff, which was a massive, exorbitant amount of spice and, and fragrance. It would have been very costly to do that. Yet he'd found a treasure worth putting his own financial gain behind, finances behind. This Jesus, who was so much more valuable and anoints him as royalty, that, that kind of anointing would have only happened in the royal palace, but that's done by somebody that we didn't know whether he was going to follow Jesus, but I'm pretty sure that's an example of him trusting Jesus. So the people in this, the parables are searchers. They had a glimpse of the treasure and it made them hungry for more. And they wanted to go after it as best they could. They were overwhelmed with the worth and the value of this treasure that they had found. And so many characters in the Bible have also gone after that treasure. Do you identify as a searcher this morning? When did you last have a glimpse of the treasure of Jesus? When did you last get hungry for him? Or are you like the other people that I mentioned, the disinterested, waiting for something to just fall in your lap? I hope today that you're a little bit interested in starting the search through something that's been said today. Those that are contented and in no need of anything, you are happy with what you have, but maybe today you can identify, identify that perhaps there's a sense of things that you're not fully happy with, a discontent on the inside that something might be missing. Perhaps you identify with those that are stuck. Your context has gotten so binding and real. And I don't want to discount that because that's where we live. A lot of us are living in a, in a difficult situation. We might be caring for someone. We might be going through something of a health concern. We might be really sad over the loss of somebody or something. We might be struggling to overcome habits and mindsets. Today, though, perhaps you'd like to Come out of that stuckness and step out of the boat into the living water for comfort. The arms of Jesus who's waiting. And not because of what he can do for you, the miracle, but to be where he is. To be embraced and comforted by him in that moment. Or perhaps you're oblivious. But maybe today, for the first time, you have become aware of the treasure that is Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field and a pearl that a merchant finds. My question at the beginning was, how do we move beyond our backstory to enjoy the Jesus that nothing compares to right now in the middle of our context and our story that we're in? 
Plenty of people, as I said, passed by him and were unaware of the treasure they were just walking past. Has Jesus made a difference in your life? Can you look back on a day when you encountered him, when you realised and recognised him for yourself as a treasure? We can try and make it easy on people in church life and say, well, you know, you can come to faith. Just do it gradually. You know, it's a journey. Just come along. But there's got to be a place in that journey where you say, Jesus, you are my treasure. I want to follow you. It's a place of encounter. Many high priests had encountered Jesus, but they had not seen how much he was worth and taken a next step. Matthew 19 verse 16 is a question of a rich man. And I think in this day and age, this is probably a very big challenge for us. The rich man asked of Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep all the commands. And if you want to be extra perfect, sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And the young rich man went away very sad because he was very wealthy. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, this is really hard. It's almost impossible to do what you're saying. You know, when we thought of this topic, I went to Luke. This is really hard. Jesus matters more in everything. How do we do that? And they said to him, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. We've, what's going to happen when we get to heaven? Like, is there something for us? Maybe they were thinking they needed to be rich somewhere else because they certainly weren't on earth. And Jesus says to them, a hundred times more than you had will be given to you as well as eternal life when you're in heaven. If you've forsaken mothers, brothers, sisters, spouses, or children for my sake, treasure in heaven awaits. Wow, I think there's huge comfort in understanding that. Sometimes we think, oh, that's too hard to do. I was thinking about an analogy. You know, when you take your kids to a park, maybe Luna Park or something, and there's some great rides. And you know they've been fun because you did it as a kid. But your kid's terrified, terrified to go on that particular ride. And so all day they're procrastinating. No, I'm too scared. I don't want to. We're going, just do it. You're going to love it. It's going to be fantastic for you. Finally, they go on it and they taste and see and go, I want to do this. And they just go on it over and over and over and over again. It's kind of like God who wants to give us this good thing in the treasure of of Christ and where they're going, oh, no, I'm too scared. Oh, I'm going to have to give up. I don't know. It's going to be good because it's from God, this treasure. Why don't we just stand? We're going to sing in a moment, but... I think the hardest pill for us to swallow in 21st century church life and and us as people is to understand what it is to give up everything. 
and follow Jesus. What a challenging thought. And I just want to draw us around a time of perhaps thinking and reflecting on our own lives. And that's going to look different for each and every one of us. And the Holy Spirit might just drop a thought into your mind as to what it is that perhaps you might need to buy or sell or give away in order to embrace the treasure that's Jesus. Because he wants our heart. It seems that in the upside down kingdom world, when you give up something, it means you gain. When you lose something or you give it away, it means that you're the most rich. And it seems that a require, this was a requirement of Jesus' disciples to do this kind of thing. But not just to sacrifice and go, well, I did it. You asked me to give it up and I gave it up. There you go. It's like, no, with the right attitude. I'm always saying that to my kids. Do it with the right attitude. David in Psalms knows that repentance brings us to that place of acceptance into God's presence and to experience the joy that we crave. In Psalm 51, it says, The sacrifice you desire, this is speaking of God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. Repentance allows the sacrifice that we bring to be accepted to God. Jesus said of himself, the kingdom of God is near. He was standing right there when he said that. Repent and believe. It's Jesus' heart for us to repent and believe. We don't have to be perfect. It's no shame or guilt that we want to heap on you. It says that in Corinthians, we become aware that we've been given this treasure in earthen vessels jars of clay it likens our life to it we've been given this treasure but we are fragile we're breakable but sometimes that very fact of being broken and humble and going through stuff in life allows the life of Jesus to shine out and through as I said there's a there's an upside down kingdom happening here because Jesus wants to, us to accept him as the treasure. And he flips it and he says, you are my treasure. I want you as my treasure, my very precious treasure. And he calls us his very own. I'm just wondering if you close your eyes for a moment. And as I was preparing for this, I just had an idea pop into my mind that when we see Jesus, it can be like we're standing on the edge of a train station and we don't know who's on the train, but Jesus comes on the train and he's passing by the train station. And we have an opportunity to recognise that Jesus is on the train and step off the platform and get into the train and be part of the kingdom. 
or we can let that train just sail by. But today, I just want to encourage you, if God's speaking and prompting you in your heart, what does it look like for you to get on that train? Perhaps you need to, you got off that train at one point and you'd like to get back on today. I just want to allow a few moments and maybe we can just sing. And if you want to kneel, if you want to pray, worship, do whatever it is that you need to do in order just to acknowledge the treasure that is in Jesus this morning. Thank you for listening to River's Edge Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, please visit riversedgechurch.com.au.